Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 10th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers Y Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello. Yeah, we have a full house here today. Usually it's only a couple people that write the big stories of the last couple days on the site. But for some reason, it's been like spread across the ranks of the, the Slash Film staff. So, OK, let's uh, let's jump into it. Let's jump into some news uh, that broke today. Uh, some Star Wars casting news. Ben, tell us about it. Yes, Disney's Rogue One prequel series, the one that stars Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, reprising that role from Rogue One, a Star Wars story, has found uh, one of its lead actresses. Uh, this actress, her name is uh, Adria Arjona, and she's been in several things, but uh, has really not left, not made much of a mark in any of them. Um, her film credits include movies like Six Underground, 
the Belco experiment, Pacific Rim Uprising, Triple Frontier. Like these are these are pretty decent size movies. Um, some of them are actually very big, but um, even um, Good Omens actually in a quite a major role. Although okay. to be All fair, right. every every role in that show kind of gets the air sucked out of, sucked out of it by David Tennant and um, Michael Sheen, but she was good in it. Okay. All right. That's good to hear. I mean, she was in True Detective also. I just don't really remember her in any of this. And I know that's like, that seems like I'm insulting her, but I really think it's it's more of like a, a diss to the writing of those projects than, you know, her abilities as a performer. So I'm, I'm really hoping, you know, that, that basically she's been cast in this show, the uh, Deadline who broke the news didn't have any information about what character she was playing. But um, yeah, who who do we think she could be playing in this series? Well, we've heard some rumors that she may end up be playing. Uh, she might be playing um, Cassian Andor's sister. Uh, and as far as I can tell, that character, the, the sister, has never been mentioned in any of the canonical stuff that Lucasfilm has has made. So um, she was not mentioned in Rogue One. I don't know if she's also a member of the Resistance or just like you know somebody who's on the you know the Andor family farm back home or whatever. I have no idea what the, the uh, yeah. potential um, uh, circumstances surrounding her character might be, but uh, yeah, we, we've heard some rumors that she may be Cassian's sister. So, um, you know, th- there's some potential there. Certainly. I'm just hoping that, like I said before, like I, I really, I've seen her in several things, but I, I, <laughs> she's made so little a mark in any of those projects. I think, largely due to the the scripts that I'm I'm hoping that this project is the one that really like gives her a boost and and actually like lets her show off her chops and like tells us what she can do. Yeah. And we should say this because when Star Wars news is reported there's a lot of times where people like like to make assumptions based on looks of like, you know, who's related to Ray because they have a certain color hair or, or you know whatever uh you know we're, we're not basing this based on just her ethnicity but also there was uh, some casting that leaked out of them trying to cast a flashback that involved uh cassian's sister so i don't know there, there, there's a just some rumors in the rumor mill that that's who it could be uh we don't know for sure but uh and i think that's one of the two female leads so there's another female lead that we don't know about yet uh, I'm sure we'll learn about that soon as uh, production is going to begin. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's move on to some sequel news that I didn't think we were going to get. They are moving forward on this Tron sequel, or is it Tron Legacy sequel? It, it's a movie in the in the Tron universe. Chris, tell us about it. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so after uh, several years of false starts. Uh, there's now a report that Garth Davis, who directed uh, Lion and a few other things, is going to direct the new Tron movie, and Jared Leto is going to star. Uh, Jared Leto has been attached for a while now. It's also worth noting that this report also stresses that Disney really hasn't given this a green light yet, despite you know the headlines. Uh, the actual quote is, Quote, insiders still stress a green light has not been given and that it's still in development. But Davis's involvement is a push in the right direction. Um, apparently, Garth Davis really has been aggressively pursuing this gig and Disney likes his idea. But again, this is still yeah. not 100% official. And for all we know, this could end up falling apart. Yeah. And to be clear, we we report all the time that something has been like, you know, something is happening there, there's so many Hollywood is confusing 
in the stages of like, you know, where the thing is in the process of development. And usually when a director is hired to develop a thing, that has not been greenlit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's usually once they get a script and they got a budget and, you know, the whole studio, you know, you know, the everybody signs off on it, then it becomes greenlit. Um, but I'm guessing they're, they're saying that in this piece because, you know, there's a rabid fandom behind Tron. People are excited about Tron. Uh, I haven't seen the, the movie Lion, which uh, Davis has done. Uh, Chris, have you seen that? Uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> I don't have anything against Garth Davis as a, as like a, a person or a filmmaker. It's just, this seems like a very boring choice. Like, I feel like Disney could probably do better than Garth Davis, but again, he's, he's really been pushing for this. So I guess the the moral of the story is if you bug Disney enough, they will give you a giant (laughs) franchise. Well, I'm sure he had a good pitch. There was a good idea there and uh, maybe him and Jared Leto kicked it off. But did you see anything in lion that made you think like oh this guy i can see why disney would want this guy to make a tron sequel uh yes that big light cycle sequence in lion <laughs> really really sold me on this so yeah but no is, is there anything in that movie i, I i'm assuming no, no like no, no. Again, he's not like i don't think he's a bad director he's just they could they could do better they could also do better than jared leto i don't know who this movie is for is what i'm saying i mean I, I, you know, Jared Leto, whatever, you know, Tron Legacy had Killian Murphy in it right there. He's he's a much better actor than Jared Leto. Why not make him the lead? Is he, you know, he, I'm sure he would do it. Give him give him some money. He'll do it. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point there. I, I'm not a big fan of Jared Leto. I did like Tron Legacy. I, I do think the visual design of that movie is so awesome. And that that score is incredible. If they can get... If if they can get Daft Punk to come back to do another score in the Tron verse, which I'm not sure they can because there were some rumors of some falling out and, you know, Hans Zimmer's team having to finish some of the, some of the music for that score. Uh, I'm not sure how true any of that is, but if they can get them to come back, that alone, I, I, I think, would like the Tron Legacy score is is the Tron Legacy score like one of the best original film scores of like the last 30 years it's definitely up there i i you know i i like the score better than the movie so yeah it's definitely it's definitely up there i i i can't think of a film score that i've listened to more in the last 10 years like on repeat it's just i don't know so if, if we get that i will be happy but um okay let's let's move on let's talk about marvel's captain marvel 2 they have finally found a filmmaker to helm that hd tell us about Yes, uh, Marvel has tapped Nina DaCosta, the director of the highly anticipated Candyman reboot coming out this October, to direct Captain Marvel 2, making her the first ever black female director for a Marvel movie. She'll be taking the reins over from Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who wrote and directed the first Captain Marvel movie starring Brie Larson. Um, And there's no news yet on who is uh, and whether she will be adding a new script to the um, to the film, which has been penned by Megan McDonald, the story editor for the Marvel-based series WandaVision. Um, but this is exciting news. She is um, she joins the elite group of female female filmmakers who are helming superhero tent poles and uh, the even more elite group of black filmmakers directing comic book movies. Um, she is yeah again the only uh, black female. Uh, 
filmmaker for a Marvel movie. So it's um it's big history making stuff. Yeah, I, I will say this, you know, Marvel tends to hire filmmakers that are like from like the indie scene. Her first film, Little Woods, uh, premiered at Tribeca, was distributed by Neon. And, you know, obviously she's going to be making this Candyman remake. I have not seen I obviously haven't seen Candyman. I I, I haven't seen Little Woods. Uh, H.D., have you seen Little Woods? I have. And it's really, really excellent. I actually got to see it at uh, Tribeca in 2018, and I was blown away by this movie. I was actually um, really shocked when I learned that it was her debut feature because it's so um, confidently and assuredly directed. It's this wonderful, haunting um, neo-Western starring Tessa Thompson and Lily James as two sisters who are forced to um, enter the opioid drug um, dealing sort of um, business in order to pay for the Lily James character's um, abortion. And it's, it, it is kind of reminds me of a sort of female response to hell or high water, that kind of grim middle America um, new Western that deals in the realities of today's um, economically depressed country. And it's just, really it's a really great film it's really hard and kind of bleak but it's um such a great she gets such great performances out of tessa thompson and lily james and i was really excited for her when i heard that she was directing Candyman. even though i don't really have any connections to Candyman. but she's getting a lot of um just buzz and play for um this reboot which is you know still kind of um showing uh jordan peele's names all over the ads instead of hers but i really believe that she is such a promising talented rising director and i'm excited to see what she has in store for captain marvel too i think she will be able to have a handle on the character drama really well and i do hope that she'll be able to um uh take more of a part in the action scenes which i think were one of the major lacking parts of Captain Marvel, which felt very obviously done by second unit director versus uh, Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck, who come from the indie world as well. And I hope that Nia DaCosta will have more of a overall creative um, grasp on everything. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the original Captain Marvel was uh, Captain Marvel's relationship with... Um... Oh my God! What's her name? She has the necklace, Monica. I don't. Uh, what is her name in the Rambo? movie? Do, yeah, her la- or that's her last name, right? Rambo. Yeah, Monica Rambo. Oh, okay. it is Monica Rambo. Monica, I thought her kid was Mo- Monica Rambo. Is the kid? Oh, um, um, the Wonder Wise's character, here. correct? <laughs> yes, uh, Lashonda Lynch, who plays Maria Lynch, Rambo. Um, yeah, it, it's easy to get confused because she has on her like neck a necklace that says Monica, which is referencing her kid um and i like that relationship so much like that to me was like the heart and core of that movie and obviously you know i'm guessing this is going to be set in the future so it's going to be more of a relationship between her and maybe monica rambo um so i could definitely see that um but i i I am glad that marvel it really seemed like with the first Captain Marvel, they were kind of going halfway with the female director. They're like, they felt the pressure that they needed a female director, but weren't able to find someone that they were either. Con- I don't know. It, it just seemed weird having the, uh, who they had as the directors of that movie. I'm glad that they were able to find a female director that could probably tap into this uh, in, a, in a major way. And it, it seems like she's not being brought on just because 
she is a female director. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like you said, you, you enjoyed that movie. It's a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes as Little Wood. And so. it's also streaming on Hulu now. I also wrote about it on my recent quarantine stream. You guys should really check it out. Um, okay, let's move on to another thing. McGruber. This is a cult classic movie that that Christopher Nolan is a big film <laughs> a fan of, and uh, you know fans have been demanding a McGruber sequel uh, ever since it premiered at South by Southwest a few many years ago, I guess. At this point, uh, it seems like they're they're not going to get the movie sequel, but they might get a they're going to get a TV sequel. Brad, tell us about it. Indeed. Uh, as we heard back in January, uh, there was development of a MacGruber series that was going to be heading to uh, NBC Universal's uh, streaming service, Peacock. Um, but even though it was in development, a uh, series order hadn't been handed down yet. But that changed today. Um, Peacock announced that their Television Critics Association panel that the series has been given an order for eight episodes. Uh, Yorma Tacone uh, Tacone will be back to direct all of them. Will Forte will be back as McGruber in addition to writing and executive producing. And yeah, this is just the best possible news. Uh, We've been waiting for this to get off the ground for a while and I'm just, I'm pumped. Um, Yeah, no, McGruber seems like the perfect movie that could be turned into a great TV series. I mean, obviously it's based on MacGyver, uh, I, I guess my worry is like once you make it a TV series, then there's the worry that it might become too much of MacGyver and not its own thing. No, I don't. I don't think so because like just because you make it, you know, whether it's episodic or serial, you know, I'm sure that um, it'll have the same spirit of the movie, and the movie doesn't necessarily require, you know, a. a a dedicated, um, you know, story arc where the characters truly evolve or anything like that. Like it's, it's meant to be a, a, you know, a parody of these, you know, action movies and of MacGyver. And if you can bring that to TV, then, you know, not much is going to, to change. And, and I, the, the premise of the series doesn't even sound like it's that much, that much different from what the movie sequel might've been anyway, because uh, it has MacGruber being released from prison He's taking down a, a new mysterious villain from his past, Brigadier Commander Enos Queef. Um, and, you know, he's back with Kristen Wiig and Ryan Phillippe and have to take on these bad guys. So it's, you know, it's going to be it's going to be fun. So are are you happy that this is happening over a movie? Because a movie would have only been like, you know, 90 minutes or two hours. Now you're going to get what? Six. Is this a half an hour or an hour? It's a half. It's a half hour series. So I guess you're getting three hours. Or something four like four that. Four hours. Right? It's six episodes or four yeah. hours. It's eight episodes. Yeah. So are, are you happy that you're going to get more time with MacGruber? I'm happy to get any more time with MacGruber, well, you know, no matter how long it is. But the fact that it is longer than what a movie would have been is definitely good news. And I'm hoping that if it's successful, that maybe it'll continue. But, you know, at the same time, if it took them this long to get this off the ground, maybe it'll just be a limited series. It's, it's not clear yet. Yeah. I, I kind of love with these streaming services that we're getting – some things that like, you know, they need subscribers so badly that they're willing to tap into like these markets of fans that might otherwise not be able to be enough people to warrant like a theatrical movie, but like, you know, are enough to be like a loss leader to get people to sign up for a streaming service. And I guess that also does include the Snyder Cut. But um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, OK, let's move on. Let's talk about John Wick. We have learned last week that uh, John Wick 5 is happening. Ben, tell us about it. 
Yes, John Wick 5 is happening. It's actually going to film back-to-back with John Wick 4. So uh, last we heard, John Wick 4 was, you know, going to be essentially the end of that. I don't think they ever actually, like, came out and promised that it was going to be the end of the franchise. Um, but uh, that was the last movie that we knew was in development and involves, uh, you know, involving John Wick. But um, there's supposed to be, like, spinoffs and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of, like, the actual Keanu Reeves starring John Wick movies, we thought four might be the end of the line. And that is not the case. They're actually going to film John Wick 5 back to back with the fourth one. So um, John Wick 4 is supposed to come out in theaters uh, on Memorial Day weekend, and um, that, that's 2022, by the way. So the, you know, <laughs> thing, things have been, it's going to be a long time before we see John yeah. Wick 5. Uh, and and all, all of John's, all the villains all of a sudden are wearing some kind of mask. We don't know why, but they, they are. I would not be surprised. Uh, you know, they already had that thing in, in chapter three where, you know, there was that big motorcycle sword fight sequence where everybody was wearing helmets. So it's very easy. And I think there was actually like a big body armor thing in the, at the end of uh, chapter three where everybody was wearing like big, um, you know, masks and stuff like that, headgear and, and uh, yeah, big body armor stuff. So I would not be surprised to see them actually like, you know, in terms of uh, coronavirus pre- uh, prevention kind of stuff, adopt more of that in, in the future. So um yeah, it's it's weird. Like the third movie, I think at one point they were talking about that m- maybe being the end of the entire John Wick saga. Um, yeah. But uh, Chad Stahelski, who's the director, he said that like at the, while they were wrapping up that movie, he looked at Keanu Reeves and they both like said, OK, you know, we're good here. Like, I, I think we've accomplished everything that we want to accomplish. But then I guess they had an extra idea for, for something else that they really wanted to do. So yeah, they, they did. What- Wait, they didn't accomplish more money. They saw the more money, <laughs> and they're like, "You know what? We have another idea." Uh, do do, uh, do you think because this is shooting back to back with John Wick Four that we might get like a Back to the Future Part Two kind of cliffhanger? Oh yeah, I, I would not be surprised because the third movie essentially ends with a cliffhanger. Like the the third movie, yeah. and spoiler alert for that film, but it ends with John Wick getting shot so many times that he falls off the roof of a massive building and then his body is not at the is not on the ground when people go down to check for him and we realize that he's like massively injured and he's uh he's teamed up with uh Lawrence Fishburne's character the Bowery King so the two of them seem to be like ready to lick their wounds and and go back out for revenge so um it, you know that movie definitely ends with almost a literal cliffhanger and th- so i'm sure the idea of them filming two in a row is going to um you know provide them ample opportunity to do something even more dramatic in between yeah let's um let's move on let's talk about ben affleck he's got, signed on to direct a movie about the making of chinatown chris what do we know uh, yeah, there's a book that was recently published called The Big Goodbye, and it's all about uh, the making of Chinatown, and it's a really great book, and now it's becoming uh, a movie. Uh, ben Affleck's going to direct it, he's also going to write it, and this is going to be very interesting because literally every single character in this story is uh, a famous person. I mean, Jack Nicholson, Roman Polanski, Robert Town, uh, Robert Evans, so they're going to have to really... <laughs> go all out and find actors to play all of these um in some cases iconic figures and it'll be very interesting to see who plays who and and uh, how how distracting that might be or how you know it might end up working i, I really don't know it, it's i imagine yeah, who, who, who do you think is going to play jack nicholson i really don't know man i mean uh so i've seen some people suggesting like 
Leonardo DiCaprio, and that actually is a pretty good choice. But I also feel like the material here is is while not the same, it's very close to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, just the era and and stuff like that. And Roman Polanski as a figure in the in the story. And I feel like he's not going to want to do something that similar. I also don't know how big the budget is going to be on this. Like how you know how many like if they're going to go for like big names here, if they're going to go for more obscure actors I, I really don't know it's hard to say who's ben affleck gonna play because he 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 almost always puts himself in his the movies he directs yeah i can't imagine him playing any of these people but uh <laughs> so so yeah i don't know if he'll he'll actually put himself in this or if he'll do like uh he did with gone baby gone and he just he takes a back seat and doesn't actually appear in the film i guess we'll see well, why don't we get Jack Nicholson? What if, yeah, what if uh, what if Affleck plays Nicholson? I mean, uh, that would be <laughs> terrible, but I really want to see it. So, <laughs> yeah, I want to see his. I feel like that would be an impersonation performance yes. and not a performance. It would be kind of amazing. So maybe that should happen. <laughs> what if we got Jack Nicholson to return and we did we use that like Marvel technology, the de aging technology, so he could uh, play himself at, uh, as a younger man. That would look amazing. So, yes, let's do that, too. Any of these options are really good ideas. I hope you're listening, Ben Affleck. Yeah. Or, or, or they don't have the budget for that, so they just use some makeup. I'm sure we can make Jack Nicholson look like he Yeah, he looks was. the same as he did yeah. in, yeah. in yeah. 1974. It's, it's all fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about a story that hit over the weekend. That is that Disney is going – or they might be abandoning – 4K physical releases of catalog titles, and this includes 20th Century uh, Fox Films. HD, what do we know? Yes, there's a new report from the Digital Bits that says that Disney does not have any plans for future 4K Ultra HD releases of its catalog titles apart from Disney, Pixar, Star Wars, and Marvel-related projects. Um, The outlet reports that Disney is abandoning 4K physical media in order to focus on building its streaming service, Disney+. And um, it does, and this also, you know, includes the 20th Century Fox Library, which includes films like Fight Club, The French Connection, True Lies, Aliens, Master and Commander, etc., as well as many searchlight picture titles. So those who are wishing for 4K high-def releases of these films might be uh, a little disappointed in future years. But there is a chance that Disney will offer the licenses to its less in-demand catalog titles to indie studios like Criterion, Arrow, or Shout Factory. Um, And there's also a chance that the studio might release 4K editions of Aliens, Avatar, True Lies to appease Avatar filmmaker James Cameron, which is a uh, because his franchise <laughs> Avatar is something that Disney is also heavily invested in, um, but it's all kind of up in the air. This is a report from um, an outlet that it has not yet been confirmed or denied by Disney, so it's something you know to take with a grain of salt. But it does um, sort of follow up on the tales of a report from last year that Disney was withholding classic Fox titles from repertory screenings. So it seems that this is kind of a practice that Disney might be taking with its catalog titles, which is not um, as important to the House of Mouse and uh, just kind of burying them in the vault. And uh, it doesn't really bode well for future uh, physical media releases from the studio. Yeah. And we should say, while this isn't confirmed, this is from the digital bits, and this is from Bill Hunt, who 
I think was writing about DVDs when I was still working at Best Buy <laughs> way back uh, two decades ago. He is very credible. Um, so I, I would believe that this is the, the plans. So I guess the qu- question now is like, you know, if Disney is going to be doing this, if they're, they're gonna, not going to be doing 4K digital or f- 4K physical releases, I, I'm assuming they're still going to be doing 4K uh you know, renders of these films and releasing them on digital and on Disney plus and stuff like that. Um, but if they're not going to be doing 4k physical releases, does, is this the beginning of the end of physical media? Because like they're, they're the biggest studio, right? They own a large portion of our cinematic history now um, yeah. because of, you know, their ownership there. They have, they reside over, not only Disney, but 20th Century Fox, Searchlight Pictures, uh, Pixar, Lucasfilm. So it is, you know, yeah, a vast majority. So it does seem like this is going to put a big, at least, um, like, backpedal or like a break, put a little big break on uh, just physical media in general. But it also seems to me like that if Disney thinks they can make money on a 4k physical release, like they're, you know, they're saying star Wars, Marvel, uh, probably did, did you say big Pixar films? Yeah. They said that Pixar, Marvel, star Wars will still get these 4k physical releases. So I'm guessing it's just like, you're not going to get the 4k release of a film that, you know, didn't do, over you know six hundred million dollars domestically or something like that. Like I, I think it's more of that kind of thing. Uh, Chris, I know you're a big big collector of physical media. Uh, what do you have to say about this? Uh, this uh, sucks and it's bad and it should not be happening. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't like the idea of of corporations like Disney controlling so much uh, of our you know our film history, and I, I don't. I don't like the idea of having everything be digital. I know it's more convenient. I know it cuts down on, on room and space and all that stuff. I understand that, but I don't trust like Disney to, to control that sort of thing. Like I I want to have a physical copy. I want to have it on my shelf to know. I actually uh, quote unquote own it. Uh, You know, if I left it up to Disney, they could just, you know, one day be like, eh, we're pulling this. You you don't have it anymore in your library. And that would, that would suck. And I, I don't want to hear that. Oh, they would never do that because they'll... But that rarely happens. That's happened like once or twice in the history of that's, movies on. That's what? once or twice too many times, Peter. I, I, want, <sighs> I want the movie. If I'm buying the movie, yeah. I want the movie. And I don't, I don't really see any way around that. And aside, aside like from the, that, oh, aside from that too, it's like, uh, streaming in 4K is never going to look as good as a hard copy of the movie will on a 4K disc with a 4K HD uh, Blu-ray player. Because- I would not say never there, Brad, because, you know, we're, we're getting better. We're getting fiber. And I think at some day you're going to have better quality than a Blu-ray disc. Yeah, but are we going to have better quality corporations that don't throttle our internet or make it slower and make, make, it, <laughs> make it so that we can't actually watch them in there, even if we're capable of doing it? Yeah. Okay, I will say this. You know you know that I am a proponent of, of, of non-physical media, of streaming and digital. You know, I own a lot of stuff on digital. I, um, I used to own over almost 3000 DVDs. I had like walls and walls of DVDs. Uh, I am, I feel so free 
from not having to to own that collection and not have all that room taken up. That said, I am always for I'm always for the option for the consumer option. Like if a consumer should have the choice of getting something physical or digital, uh, I just don't understand why Disney wouldn't like at least if there's if there's a demand out there for it, why not just like have a print on demand? Like, you know how Warner Brothers, uh, they used to have their archive collection where you could go online and order a movie and it would like literally be burned and printed on a DVD or a Blu-ray uh, uh, for you and sent to you in the mail. Like, why not do that if you're not going to release them in stores? Because maybe there isn't enough of a demand for these 4K releases in stores. But I mean, and Warner, would you be okay Warner, with that? Warner Brothers still does have that, by the way. Oh, they still do. Yeah. Okay, for some reason I thought they didn't. Um, w- would you guys be okay with that? Like, if that was where we went, where it, they're still available, but it's not like at Best Buy, and it's not with like super duper special edition special features, but you could get the movies 4K if you if you ordered online. Yeah, I think that would be better option than not having it available at all. So, I mean, it it does it yeah, it makes more it, there probably is less demand for these kind of movies, but I I just like the idea that, you know, these movies are available in some capacity and not buried in a vault somewhere. Yeah. No, I but I do, I do want to point out that I don't think Disney's like this evil corporate well, okay, you can argue if Disney's an evil corporation, but I think this decision isn't made of like we're gonna keep the movies away from them. I think it really comes to like they're looking at the bottom line numbers and seeing how much money it costs to produce these releases and release them and how how many are getting sent back to the company, not being bought, and them losing money versus like like do you know what I mean it, it it is a supply and demand or not a supply and demand it, it is a demand thing that I think they're seeing but I think there's ways around that like I think there's a on demand solution here so um okay we have two other stories we've already gone over 30 minutes but I want to get to these today uh one perfect shot is this Twitter account they post up perfect frames from your favorite movies and uh it's now getting a TV series Ben tell us about it Yes, Ava DuVernay, the director of uh, uh, When They See Us and Selma and 13th, is going to be executive producing and narrating a One Perfect Shot TV series for HBO Max. So it is not necessarily, it, it, actually, it's not at all a, uh, you know, a show about like the creation of the Twitter account or anything like that. It, it's basically um, sort of paying homage to and, and uh, documenting the art of directing and, and uh, chronicling the craft of great filmmakers. So the premise of the show actually sounds kind of cool. They're going to be using this technology where uh, one director comes in for each episode and they're given uh, what they're what they're calling an arsenal of visual tools to pull back the curtain on their most iconic shots. Uh, using state-of-the-art technology, the directors will literally enter each shot walking through the scene in 360-degree moments that allow viewers to join an immersive exploration of movie making. So it's going to physically put uh, these directors in like a, I guess, like a 3D rendering of their own movies, which is kind of cool and, and should be a... Um, you know, a walk down memory lane for a lot of these people. We don't know exactly which directors are going to be involved yet, but one of the executives at HBO Max said in a press release that this show is going to be celebrating, quote unquote, the most beloved films of all time. So that sounds like they're going to be getting some pretty big names coming through here. So your Spielbergs, yeah. your Scorseses, what have you, I'm sure all of these people will be 
dropping by. Uh, you know, I, I'm just curious now, like if only, you know, if, if Steven Spielberg, for example, only comes by for one episode, how are they going <laughs> to narrow down like what his one perfect shot moment is? Um, yeah. Well, it has to be that moment from Close Encounters with the light coming through the door, right? Like that, I feel like that's his perfect shot for me. I think, I don't know if you're just using, if this is a joke, Peter, if you're just saying this in order to set up an uh, instance where all of us go around the circle and say <laughs> our own favorite moment. Because it's certainly I, not a joke. I, I would pick that as my perfect Spielberg shot. Okay. Like, what, what would you pick? Uh, God, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I would have to defer to Chris, who's doing a, a you know a podcast about Steven Spielberg right now. Um, but there are so many. I guess that's the that's the point. I'm trying yeah, to make. There's yeah. like, you know a million options. But Chris, I'm curious, what would you want to see Spielberg sort of walk through in this way? Man, I don't know. There's there's so much to choose from. I don't I don't think I could even narrow it down to, to <laughs> one thing. Honestly, it's it's uh, like, I, I yeah, just like off the top of my head, like a million different shots come to mind. So yeah, I, I I could not. I also don't think Steven Spielberg will do this show, but that's me. He seems like he doesn't like to talk about his work like that, so I don't think he'll actually do it. I don't know. He's friends with Ava. Who knows? Uh, I, I guess you know. On the surface, this sounds like an amazing idea. And by the way, disclosure alert: you know, this is being produced by Neil Miller, who is a friend of mine, and I think he's a friend of some of the other people on this podcast. Uh, he's the guy that runs the One Perfect Shot Twitter account, so that has been disclosed up front here um that said like i'm kind of not sure the story behind a shot is as good as a story behind like like moments and i'm wondering if it's going to be more dealing with like the making of like a moment or a like a sequence like because this twitter account is like still frames right so, like, I'm wondering, is this going to deal, like, are you going to have Scorsese go on there and he's going to walk you through, you know, Goodfellas walking the steady cam shot, walking through the kitchen and stuff like that? Is, is it going to be that or is it literally going to be that one frame and you're walking through that one framing telling the story of that? Like, do, do you guys, what do you think? Is this a, a is it, is there a good idea here of, in, of ad- adapting this Twitter account into a TV series adaptation? I think it's a cool idea. And I think, I think they, you know, I think one perfect shot is the hook that gets you in the door. It's a, it's a familiar name brand thing. You know, this is a popular Twitter account. And I think everybody sort of like inherently understands the, the basic idea of what they're trying to do. I think, you know, it could change even on an episode by episode basis in terms of like how extensive they want to get, or, you know, if they want to just minimize it down to like a single frame within a shot like you know we're talking about spielberg like if they just want to talk about the image in et of the you know the bike in front of the moon like i'm sure they could spend a lot of time talking about the construction the inspiration of that shot you know talking about the cinematographer and the way that spielberg like you know i think that that's what a lot of the show is going to be is like uh yeah uh putting up the art of cinematography and and like bringing that stuff to the forefront and like i said talking about craft and things like that so I, i think there's a lot of opportunities to sort of take this uh name as just like a a um a springboard and jump off you know depending on how much um like depending on the shot depending on the filmmaker how much they want to talk about stuff um you could probably stretch it out to like entire scenes if you wanted to even you know beyond just sequences even yeah i'm excited anything that gives us access to explore the filmmaking history in a way that like you know there's a lot of netflix shows and stuff that don't really dive too deep because they don't have the budget or they don't have you know, someone like Ava producing it. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that we might actually get, you know, 
maybe there will be a Spielberg episode where he's going through his favorite or the, the favorite shots from his movies. That would be pretty cool. It would also like, I don't know. I, I'm guessing Neil and Ava have this already all figured out. But if they were going to do that, I, I wish they could use the Twitter account, One Perfect Shot, to have like a Twitter vote on like what are Spielberg's, you know, what are the, the best shots in Spielberg's and then have him deal with those. And they're not just like arbitrarily pecking shots, like somehow, you know, make the Twitter account more a part of it in some way. Anyways, um, OK, let's move on to our final story. This one, uh, I guess, maybe a little bit of a spoiler warning. It's for Jurassic World uh, Dominion. And this is a photo that has been tweeted out. So it's an official photo. But if you want to stay away from it, you can, you know, tap out now. Uh, Brad, tell us about this story. So the photo wasn't actually tweeted out, but director Colin Trevorrow sent it over to Jurassic Outpost, which is a Jurassic Park fan site that covers everything tied to the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World fa- um, franchises. And the photo uh, shows a an, a metal in-gen crate that um, has warning signs on it about liquid nitrogen and severe cold, uh, and it's presumably meant to uh, hold dinosaur embryos, because as we saw in the uh, original Jurassic Park, they put the dinosaur embryos in these freezing containment units uh, that use liquid nitrogen to keep them cold so that they would last for a long time. And so since this is an engine crate that, that you know, gives us the idea that that's likely what's in there. Um, the more interesting detail about this crate is that at the bottom, it says Site B, Isla Sorna, which is the secondary island that we saw in the uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, or The Lost World Jurassic Park, as the title was, um, where they had a facility that they used to breed the dinosaurs before they took them over to Jurassic Park. But it was abandoned uh, due to a hurricane that went through there. So scientists abandoned the area. They let the dinosaurs freeze because they had a better chance of survival in the storm than they did being stuck in the, the facility. And that island ended up being ran over with dinosaurs. And InGen uh, took advantage of that situation to go get them in an attempt to bring them back to San Francisco for a mainland attraction with dinosaurs. And we all know how that went. So, <laughs> so the fact that uh, this this is a container that apparently has either come from or come to uh, Isla Sorna is interesting because it could mean either they have reactivated uh, this site, which is apparently something that was mentioned in some viral marketing for both Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom. I guess they were using it for secret uh, testing and genetic stuff before Jurassic World actually opened. Um, But there's also the possibility that maybe this is some kind of flashback because I was thinking that they recently announced that the character Dodgson uh, is from the original movie is coming back, even though he's being played by a different actor. And I was thinking since he didn't get the dinosaur embryos that first time from Dennis Nedry, that maybe there's some kind of flashback where he's trying again to get them from the secondary site. And maybe we'll see site B up and running as it was at the height of the time when Jurassic Park was supposed to be a thing. Um, but it's, it's an interesting detail because, uh, we don't really know what this means, you know, or, uh, you know, where the embryos came from, if they've been holding on to them this whole time, if they were there, cause the crate is in pristine condition. It's not like it's, they, they grabbed it from the Island and it was stuck there for a long time and it's, you know, just been sitting waiting for someone to find it. So unclear at this point, what this means. Well, I'm curious to see how this plays out. We'll have to watch the movie and find out. That does it for us for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. 
and rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Wednesday.